This is the Teaching Primary Music Podcast, where you will learn effective, tried and true methods to teach children the gospel of Jesus Christ through music. I am Courtney Ekman. And I am Charlotte Dance. In this episode, we are going to talk about multiple intelligences and about a concept called backdoor learning. So, Charlotte, what exactly do we mean when we say backdoor learning? So... The brain um, has this amazing ability to take gestures from the world, take pictures from the world, and put them into a context and put things with them. But it also really focuses on one thing at a time, and then we'll put them all into a network. So for instance, when you network something, it's like you're drawing and it goes over here and then this goes over here and they lodge in different places in the brain actually. So if I'm having a child do a gesture that says Holy Ghost and I do it with them and they're trying to do the gesture and they're totally focused on my hands, when I sing or say Holy Ghost, it lodges into the back of their head and they don't even really think about it. They just are trying so hard to do their physical gesture. Or when I'm doing beat and then I stop on a certain word and stop on a certain word again, the the brain will say, that's the clue to stop. So it logs the word and it puts it into that little catalog. And the child is just really trying to stop with me and trying to keep the steady beat. But the brain picks up the words that are going with it, especially if they're sung, because music goes into five different areas in the brain. And they know that from the Alzheimer test that they've just done this last year and a half, where if they play a song that the Alzheimer patient knew, the Alzheimer patient can sing the entire song. And for about five minutes after the song, they can engage in a complete conversation with somebody as if they had never had Alzheimer's, then all of a sudden it fades and they go back into the dull stare. It's amazing. Music opens up the brain like that. So backdoor learning for primary music leader, why does that sometimes mean that the children don't sing? One of the things that I don't think most of us recognize is that singing is reproducing. It's not producing. You're not creating your own song where you're producing it. You're reproducing something else. And so in order to reproduce something, you have to be able to conceptualize it and see it and hear it. With music, the young child, it's about a hundred times that they have to hear that song over and over again before it becomes their own. And then they reproduce it clearly every time. Sometimes you'll hear little fragments when they haven't heard it quite enough. Prophet, you know, like that, because they haven't heard it quite enough. But one of the things that happens all the time is that we say the words and say, okay, let's sing it. (laughs) And it's not at all mapped out in the child's brain. They have to hear it over and over again, but be concentrating on some aspect of it. Like here's the beat. Oh, and here's the visual for it. Oh, and here's the movement that goes with it. And they're, they are not singing. They're not reproducing it yet because they haven't heard it enough times, but they're totally involved in that activity. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, I've already, I, I know the words. I don't have to work on the words. And you're, <laughs> it's so funny because they say, oh, you didn't teach me. I already knew it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> so let's back up a little bit. You talked about how they have to hear it 100 times. 
Can you go over the different age groups and, and what their learning needs are? When you approach a 10-year-old, you assume that he's already heard words, he's already heard some music in his life, he's already done some moving in his life, and you just take it for granted. But when you approach a three-year-old and you can't understand why they can't learn the songs faster, you have to recognize they haven't heard very many songs and taken them into their own that like a 10-year-old has. They haven't moved enough. They're still figuring out where their body is in space. In fact, they will miss sometimes when, when they're asked to touch something because they can't quite figure it out. And so all of those structures that are they're laying down, that's why they need it so many more times. For instance, with a young child, they make sense of gestures because they didn't come speaking whatever language they're introduced to. If it was Chinese, they look at the gestures and figure out what the context and the word might mean by what's happening around them. And so they need to hear it over and over again to figure out, is that the same as what I thought it was before? Is that the same? They don't know they're doing that, right? And we don't know very much about how children pick up language, except that hearing is super important at those young ages. If they have a hearing impediment, it really affects how they pick up a language. So a three and a four-year-old really need to feel the steady beat in their body. They don't do it very well. There's some that come naturally with it. And a lot of children that are, you know, kind of jaggedy, but that's why we do way many more times of repetitions with the three and four-year-old. Five and six-year-old, we expect a little bit more of. They've had a little bit more experience. A 10 and 11-year-old, they get bored because they've already had those experiences. So you have to give them new challenges. For instance, doing rhythm in one hand and beat in the other. And the, all of a sudden they're challenged and they're really focused on doing that. And all the words that they're hearing as you're singing that song and doing the rhythm, just go straight into the other parts of the brain. And when they sleep at night, it puts it in, and puts a little connector to it. It doesn't go into the same place. That's one thing that they have learned about brains is that it goes all over the place and then it just connects so that it has a concept of what this song is. Very good. Okay, so back to the three and four-year-olds. Let's talk about why it's important. We know that they need to hear the song over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So why don't we just do the same thing over and over and over again across all the different Sundays? Good question, because I think a three-year-old, just like a 10-year-old, wants to have new experiences in life. They're seeking and that they do it naturally. And in fact, so many people have said, if we could keep seeking like we did when we were three, four, and five, we would be amazingly brilliant because they're seeking for new experiences. So you have to give them new experiences, sometimes with a ribbon, sometimes with a drum, sometimes with a shaker, sometimes with a visual, sometimes with a puzzle. And then you're singing that same song so that they hear it so many times. So literally, if you're going to sing for a three or four-year-old 50 times, if you do five Sundays, you've got to sing it 10 times in 10 different ways, you know, and they don't want to do the same thing. I've done this before, but you know what? A three and four-year-old don't say that until they've kind of mastered in their head. So you could do the same thing two weeks in a row and then change it and then do two weeks in a row and then change it. But if it's one that's not very well suited to the child, like some people take in information really well with their body, some people don't. And that's just the way it's made. It's called multiple intelligences. 
So that's one of the other reasons to do a variety every single time, because you don't know which way their body takes it. They don't even know which way their body takes in information best. So if you change it up and give it variety, then you're bound to hit on almost everybody's learning thing and give them more experiences and they like it. It, it's amazing to me. I often see comments about what do I do about reverence? What game can I play? What reward can I give? But when you teach like this with so much variety and they're intrigued and they're challenged, you just don't have reverence problems. You don't have uh, discipline problems because you're giving the child what they need at the moment. Multiple intelligences. Can you tell me a little bit more about your history with that concept? Well, it actually comes because my daughter received radiation on her brain when she was seven and eight. And that really disrupts the brain, if you call it highways. You know, she still has some of the byways, but she doesn't have highways anymore. And so I had to, was grasping at straws, trying to figure out how to help her rebuild her system for learning. And so I found a book by Thomas Armstrong that says, Every child is intelligent, and they're all intelligent in different ways. And when I read that book, it was like, oh, oh. And he based that book off of a man from Harvard named Howard Gardner. And Howard Gardner did a huge study with a lot of funding about what intelligent really is. And it's how people take in information. And then he said, well, is there just one intelligence? Are there more than one intelligence? And what he found out was... There's not only one, two, or three intelligence, but there's many, many ways to take in intelligences. For instance, there are some people who love to read maps, and there are other people that hate it. It's not the way they take in information. There are some people that love numbers, and there are other people that hate numbers because it's not the way they take in information. And, and I thought it was fascinating. And so I started looking at that from, of course, of course, a primary view and said, well, okay, so if he says there's an intelligent that uses music to learn, oh, okay, we need to do that. If he says there's an intelligence that uses body movements and kinesthetic movements to learn, we need to do those. So one of the things that really struck me is that I have never been taught in all of those different modalities like social learners and they need other people to talk to to learn. I have never been taught, of course, math, because that's the way we're taught, math and logic and reading. But those are usually who we have teaching us as teachers in grade school. And they don't usually go outside the box and use facial intelligence and pictures that we have to interact with. And so I started going, okay, how could I, how could I have a child interact with a picture instead of just showing it to him? So I started cutting up some visual aids into puzzles and they had to put them together. Or I put the visual aids out of order. That was way back. I mean, I think I was, that was 25 years ago. And the first time I did a really big thing like that was in a state conference where they ask us as the state primary people to put on a primary for the state conference children. I was like, we don't know these kids. We don't know how many kids we're going to get. So I took the younger ones and did a music time. And whenever I hear the song of a bird, we did that song. But I had the pictures all mixed up. And I said, oh, I don't know what to do. They're, my pictures were all out of order. And the kids were delightful and so engaged and they all could sing the song after we'd sung it four or five times putting the pictures in order and I realized 
some of these kids have that visual spatial picture mentality, but they have to interact with that. And then I did one where I have a child who is very logical. And so I would put the patterns up and say, okay, so what's the pattern? And they would be immediately into it. I actually learned Crack the Code from a woman who was not doing a good job as a primary music leader. She was logical and the kids didn't relate with it. And one day she put up the first letter of every word and asked the kids, what's the code? What have I done here? And I saw the kids come alive for the first time as her, her teaching her because they related to that, they were engaged. And then I thought, ah, I can use that in primary everywhere. So those are some of the, that's some of the history of how it started for me, trying to teach to all of these different multiple intelligences that kids have. Just so we're on the same page, I'm going to quickly outline the nine intelligences identified by Howard Gardner. We approach them slightly differently, but I think it gives a good starting point. So we have body or kinesthetic. That is the learner who needs movement of the body to learn. We have picture slash visual slash spatial. This learner uses color, images, and visual spacing to learn. Music. This learner uses melody, beat, and harmony to learn. Spiritual or existential. This learner listens to the spiritual within and the Holy Ghost to learn. We have people or interpersonal. This learner needs interaction with others to learn. We have the logical, who uses logic, numbers, and patterns. We have words or linguistics. They use words to learn and can have a preference for either the spoken word or the written word. So younger children often use concrete representations of words. We have the naturalist who uses nature and patterns of nature to learn. And we have the self or interpersonal learner who uses self-introspection, journaling, and meditation to learn. And we can use all of these plus more in our primary in different ways. So here's some cute stories. I had one boy that I uh, taught and if it had to do with frogs, he would do anything. And uh, luckily I have a pond in my backyard and it has frogs in it. And so I could teach him here in my piano studio and the reward would be he could go look for frogs. I began to realize, wow, this really is a thing that some kids need nature to learn. And so that's why I brought in smells into learning primary songs. It's a really strong way for some kids to learn. And, and a lot of us have smell memories that if we smell something, it will take us back to a memory, boom, really fast. Because those two parts of the brain, memory and the smell center, happen to be right next to each other. So it's, it's really interesting. And here's the other story that was kind of fun. I was a primary music leader and my best friend was the primary president and her daughter was in my class. And her daughter just got so upset because she couldn't learn Feliz Cumpleaños. I, was, I taught it you know, with colors, I taught it with movement, I taught it with this and that and this. She just couldn't get it. And so finally I thought, okay, what, what do I do? Oh. I haven't put words up. So I put the words out of order and the flags out of order. And I said, while I'm singing this, can you put the words with the flags? You know, let's figure this out so that they were engaged in that puzzle kind of thing. And she could sing it, boom. She just had to be able to see the words in order to sing. And, and yet 
If she had done that as the very first activity, she wouldn't have been able to sing it all the way through because she didn't have the other multiple intelligent based activities to do. So it's, it was really interesting to me that they really are strong in some people. All of us have about three to four ways that we take in information. She was really strong with words, seeing words. But it is really helpful. I think even to just review this list, I'm remembering old primaries where maybe I don't use that method because it's not mine. Yeah. But I think it was your idea from your blog. I taught, um, whenever I hear the song of a bird, same one that you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, and we brought in something like we brought in flowers to smell or we brought in you know music to listen to that was birds singing and as we sang. And I got a handwritten letter in the mail about a week later. I had just moved into the ward. And it was from a sister and I tried to find her. I don't know if she was a visitor. I never really fully figured out who she was, mm -hmm. but she had written me to say, keep doing what you're doing. I was really struggling. I didn't know if I wanted to come to church today. And the things that I felt during your singing time were so oh, powerful and touched goodness. my heart so much. And so it's not just the children. We as adults, <sighs> we have these multiple intelligences that sometimes just are not spoken to you know right. and so it can be hard for us and yet it's all right there if we can just grab right. it and teach in these different ways right and so one of the ways that i began to change this is i realized that young children don't have all of these developed yet those intelligence don'ts develop really well they do develop really movement wise they have to move and they they what we know from brain research is that they look at gestures to figure out meanings rather than hearing the words to figure out meanings. And so any kind of gesture used with a young child is really, really effective because that's how they learn. And so that's kinesthetic, right? The other one that they really learn well is rhythm and beat and melody. And especially if they've been sung to by a mother when they were in the crib, they can rock to a beat. They can lead to a beat if they've been, you know, exposed to it. And they love doing rhythms and they love pounding and they love swaying. I haven't used partner rhythms where we have the children holding hands and swaying like that for a long time. I used it two weeks ago and I thought, oh my goodness, why haven't I used this for so long? It's so effective for the kids. They absolutely really loved it. And they're hearing the song over and over again and taking the song in, in a way that they learn. So kinesthetic movement is fantastic for children. Music is fantastic for children. The Holy Ghost really teaches them well. They just came from heaven. They're only three or four or five years out from heaven. And so they're used to that. They feel the Holy Ghost quite well if you can bring it in and you can teach in that way. Another one is stories. They do really well with stories. So a story song works super well for them. They don't do very well with logic. They don't do very well with people, but they do do well with representations of words, not written words. Right. Concrete representation, mm -hmm. isn't that what you call it? Right. And the concrete representation is not putting a word up because even if they can read at age four, they don't go into logic mode until age eight. That's just the way that the brain advances. And they don't go into reading symbols really well and, and connecting everything. So... It also makes kids that can't read, because there's many of them up into eight, nine, and 10 that can't read very well. It makes them feel stupid. So I don't usually use printed words for kids sometimes. 
you know, as part of this whole big picture of how people learn and take in things. So concrete representation would be hand movements. Concrete representation would be having them make up some action that stands for a word. So it's a concrete thing that they can see and touch and feel. Those are the, those are what I base everything off of. And then as they get older, I add in some of those other kinds of things. Awesome. I really love this quote about multiple intelligences that you include in your book, How to Teach a Child a Song. And it's a quote from Jan Boner, who's talking about Howard Gardner. And she says, he proposes that people are intelligent in different ways and that conventional means of assessing and teaching people in a manner incompatible with their preferences are ineffective. It is not necessary that a teacher design a lesson according to each intelligence so all students can comprehend the material. Rather, it is the teacher's responsibility to create rich experiences in which students with differing learning styles can explore ideas using their particular combinations of strengths and weaknesses. That's beautiful. And That's I just right. really love that quote because it talks, you know, it's not that the child who loves frogs only ever was engaged when you were doing frogs. Right. It was when you brought frogs, it engaged him. And then he was also interested in the other things you were doing. And so I've noticed that too with children that especially love like colors and patterns in in that Mm -hmm. they get into the movement and rhythm after I start that with them. And even those that are weak in it at first, after a while, that becomes a strength to them. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that we only teach to one specific method or to a few that are really strong in our primary. It's that when we engage them and start and lead with those, then we've got them. Mm -hmm. And then they're engaged in the rest of the work that we have to do. So one of the questions that I often get is, so here's all these multiple intelligences. What do I do to engage children in all these different ways? Because I don't know them. I wasn't taught like that. And so maybe we could do a part B to this and just go over some of the ways that have really worked, that have proven with children over 20 years of how to engage them multiple intelligence-wise. Yes, look forward to that in our next episode. Thank you for listening and a special thank you to Dana Carden for composing our music.